Hello, I'm Bella Umazo. I'm Keaton Sarner. And we are the Fight Behind Our Forks. Fighting to end diet culture and prevent eating disorders. So today we're going to be talking about how social media can affect eating disorders, um, especially during this time with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I think we all know that social media can definitely perpetuate the onset of eating disorders and just general body image struggles. Um, there are always pros and cons to social media, but um, I think definitely in terms of eating disorders and body image, there's unfortunately more cons than pros. Especially because so many people and like celebrities, um, they'll edit their photos or they take a photo that's in a specific lighting in a specific form, position, and it makes their body look a certain way that we don't necessarily relate to or feel our body looks that way. And that can make people feel that they need to change their body. And some people, when they do this, it can become very unhealthy and very fast. Um, and I think especially with the prevalence of disordered eating habits um, among the United States public is just an example of this because so many people have disordered eating habits and they don't even know it. Even three years into recovery, um, three and a half years more like, um, I definitely can relate to not wanting to post certain pictures because of the way I look. Um, and I think that's definitely one of, one of the last kind of remnants of my eating disorder because it's hard because you have however many follow followers and we naturally want to be liked as human beings and like literally liked as in like the like button. And um, sometimes I do have to like push myself if I want to post a picture to not, you know, to post something instead of like nitpicking every imperfection in it. Yeah, it's almost because um, like some of these sites like Instagram, they've become not a place where you show memories or you show places you've gone, but in a lot of situations, it's just where you put your best photos of you because you're trying to portray this certain look to the people you know, because you want to be liked. Um, and since so many people just in your age group, the people in your grade do it, and then celebrities do it, it's just this norm where you take your best photos and you eliminate or you bully yourself until all of the other ones aren't good enough to post you only post your best ones. And then we just have so many girls and boys only posting their best photos and creating this unreal ideal of what people look like. Um, only the pretty people think like they're posting the photos, but it's not like everyone who's truly beautiful um, who's posting because they feel that it's only for this specific elite group. Yeah, I definitely feel that way, and I definitely admit to sometimes um, falling into that trap, and I think social media at its core has definitely morphed from its original goal, because I think <clears throat> originally it was supposed to be a way of sharing, um, you know, connecting with people. I know, like, I, I don't know exactly, like, what, you know, the first person to create social media was thinking, but I assume, you know, for family members on the other side of the country to see what their family's doing and to just share with your friends the places you've been and the travels you've done, and um, it definitely morphed into a way more just to, 
to what Bella said, to choose your very best picture, the, the least imperfect picture you can find. And that's really sad. Yeah, I guess it just makes us, it just leads to this ideal of beauty, that there is this standard of beauty that is so clearly known um, in the United States. Uh, and it's just reinforced. And I am definitely guilty of this, definitely guilty of only posting my best photos or not posting or not wanting to take photos. Um, it's actually one of the biggest things that are a part of my recovery is my struggle to look at pictures of myself um, and to post them and put them out there when I don't think that I fit that ideal beauty standard. Um, but I think teaching like these um, upcoming generations and the children below us that you should only take these great photos and you should only put them out there if they're so perfect. And um, when you're looking at these photos, you should look at them in this ideal of if it's perfect. Like you can find yourself almost scrolling and like, and having these thoughts about other people's photos because Instagram has turned to something that's not about sharing and, and caring about your friends, but just parading around your, your, your best self. That's not really who you are. Definitely. And I think there's definitely been um, a bit of a, a revolution, I'd say definitely with the body pod, body positive movement on um, Instagram and other forms of social media. And um, it's, it's really great that, you know, people are beginning to feel comfortable showing pictures of themselves, their flawed selves, because we got to remember that everybody's flawed and, you know, most Instagram pictures are re retouched and the ones, the celebrities we look up to, they have a team of people retouching their photos. So um, it is great what the body positive movement has, um, you know, done on Instagram, but I will say that there are definitely some flaws within, um, you know, the eating disorder community on Instagram. Since we started the Fight Behind Our Forks, um, we've had our Instagram page up for about a year now, I think almost exactly a year. And there are some, there's some great stuff out there, some really inspiring stuff. And I'd say that that's the majority of stuff is really inspiring. But there are some things on Instagram within the eating disorder community that even me being as recovered as I am, it's triggering and it's hard to look at. And I would rather just not um, partake in some of the things that the eating disorder community kind of posts. Um, and I've seen just like, especially on TikTok, where people will be like, oh, this certain size can't be this representation of body positivity because it's not plus size or it's not what we think is against our beauty ideals but I think even that idea that we that not all bodies can practice body positivity and pose for body positivity and represent body positivity I think only saying plus size girls um, can be body positive kind of goes against that direct message it's not about just bigger bodies or smaller bodies it's we want all bodies to feel comfortable when they're at their healthiest and each body is at a different point and it's hard when you see some people who are like within your community who just want people to feel confident, but they're not really putting it out there the best way um, and putting it out there in a way that could be triggering 
to other people who are actually struggling? Um, I know for me, I am a um, 100% against before and after pictures in the eating disorder community. Um, and I have had, I think, I think, uh, I th I'm sure Bella can, you can relate to this, that I've had the urge to post like a before and after picture and like, look how sick I really was and all these things that my eating disorder has been fueling and like, look how far I've come. But I, I, I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I think, um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, posting before and after pictures, I, I personally don't think it comes from a place of recovery. I don't think it's a form of saying, look how far I've come. I think it's really our eating disorders being like, look how sick I was. And I think that competition is really dangerous and toxic and unhealthy. And I'm a big supporter of not posting before and after pictures on Instagram in terms of eating disorder recovery. Yeah, I can definitely um, agree with that. And saying that I've come from a part like in my recovery where I was obsessed with that competition um, and eating disorders, especially like anorexia can be just so naturally competitive and you don't even realize it. Um, and so just, you also have to be aware of like who could see that photo. It's not just the people who don't know about eating disorders, who want to learn about it. It's also people who could be active in their eating disorders or who could be trying to recover. And you just never really know who you're triggering. So I guess it's best not to. Um, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I don't think, I think, you know, it's not to say that, you know, you should always post according to like, will I Sorry, I cut out there for a second. Um, I think it's important to, you know, be posting not that, um, you know, thinking all the time, like, will I be triggering somebody? Because then you're just going to, like, go down that rabbit hole, like, everything is going to trigger somebody. But I do think it's important to be a responsible social media user. And the fact that, like, if you are involved, if you have an eating disorder recovery account, that's awesome. But just be aware that if you directly post, like, hey, I lost X amount of weight in X amount of month, or I was in the hospital X amount of times, and, like, look how sick I am, who is that really helping? It's not helping yourself. It's not helping other people. It's, a, it's, it, that's just really not healthy, and um, that's something that I think a lot of people have to work through, um, for sure. And I also think like about before and after pictures, sometimes I see a lot of uh, accounts that are promoting like, you know, eating disorder recovery. It doesn't have to do with weight. And it doesn't because you can, we all know you can have an eating disorder. You could have anorexia and you're not underweight. You could have bulimia and you're not underweight. You could have binge eating disorder and you're not underweight. You're not overweight. You know, you could be any weight and have an eating disorder because eating disorders do not discriminate. But I think it's really ironic and hypocritical that some accounts that say these type of things and then post before and after pictures, because it's kind of like, you're saying that the weight doesn't matter, but then you post a before and after picture. What does that say to your followers? And I know I personally get really frustrated with that. And at the fight behind our forks, that's why we purposely don't post before and after pictures. Yeah, I think this is a... Uh kind of a good time to 
transition this conversation <laughs> into talking a little bit about some struggles during just the COVID-19 pandemic and with having to self-isolate or quarantine um, and just some of the things that we have seen come up for ourselves in our lives, in our recovery, um, and maybe what we've seen from like online or people that we know who are also in recovery. Um, so personally, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, my family were still really not going out. We're pretty um, conservative in terms of staying at home and be really safe. We do, Bella and I both live in Los Angeles, California, where it's one of the highest rates of COVID-19. So we're still pretty, um, pretty much on lockdown for the most part since March. And um, I know that at the beginning of the pandemic, my family, you know, we ordered stuff from Costco, but we really weren't going to, we still don't go to the grocery store. We order food online. And for a while, it's not that we were running out of food, but we were definitely low on food where like, we weren't, you know, we had some pretty weird meals <laughs> composed of some, it was a lot of rice and chicken. And I definitely had these urges that's like, oh my gosh, like what if we, we weren't going to run out of food. But in my mind, I was really scared. Like, what if we run out of food to the point where like, I had these urges to like hoard food. And that's never been part of my eating disorder and the behaviors my eating disorder presents. But it was really interesting that that kind of came up. I didn't act on it, but it was a really interesting urge that I noticed. <laughs> okay. And I'm, I'll talk about a little bit about how, like, when you're stuck at home and you don't really have activities to do, um, it's easy to just either not eat or to eat more than your body really wants. Um, what I've found is like I bored eat a lot, whereas I'm full, I'm satiated, I'm not hungry, but I'm eating just because I really have nothing to do. And while that is okay on a small level, um, and sometimes it's all right to eat when you're not hungry, if that happens for me like repetitively or all the time, it can send me into a spiral of restricting and binging, um, which was what my eating disorder um, what I came out as, I guess. Um, so just during this time, it was important for me to like really focus on my hunger and fullness cues and really focus on intuitive eating. Um, and like, even when I wasn't craving anything, but eating because I knew I needed to eat, um, like where I wasn't maybe using a lot of energy, I wasn't going and walking all around school, but, um, I did need to eat breakfast, I did need to eat lunch, and I did need to eat dinner. And just because I'm not craving something or I didn't want to eat in that moment doesn't mean I can just like skip that meal. Um, so that was a part of it. Yeah, I definitely am right there with you. I, um, during um, a few months ago, actually, I was re-diagnosed with gastroparesis, which I, um, had during the beginning of my eating disorder recovery, which basically means my stomach doesn't digest, it doesn't really digest its food as fast as it should. So the food kind of just sits in my stomach for a while. And um, the doctors don't really know why it came back up. It, um, they don't think it has to do with my eating disorder. So I'm, I'm not sure, but the side effects are, I don't get hungry that often. Um, luckily I take a medication that helps with that. But it was really interesting during 
probably the summer and being in the pandemic and not getting hungry and not knowing why and um but still knowing that i had to eat and still knowing that you know you still have to eat three meals you still have to eat you know breakfast lunch and dinner and snacks in between and it is hard sometimes when you're not hungry and you still have to eat but um everybody needs to eat <laughs> even if you're not hungry sometimes um for a long period of time you still need to eat so that's something that came up for me that was definitely a challenge but I worked through it. I think another aspect of um, this pandemic and quarantining for people who have been in residential or inpatient treatment um, could be like that feeling of being trapped again, um, which I still deal with. I have nightmares pretty much like once a month about being stuck in a house and not being able to leave or not being allowed to leave. Um, being back in residential and not being out allowed to leave. So like that feeling was kind of the same <laughs> during the quarantine. Um, so it can, can easily trigger those thoughts or trigger those emotions um, and make it just really hard to live your daily life and still get the things you need to do done because online schooling and um, all your responsibilities are still there. <laughs> That definitely came up for me too. I remember at the beginning of quarantine and being stuck in the house and not really going out. I mean, we went out for walks and stuff, but um, it definitely was like all too familiar. I was definitely like, wait, this reminds me a little a bit of residential. I mean, obviously residential is a lot different. We had a, a um, previous podcast about residential treatment and everything. Um, and, you know, be, being stuck at home was nothing like that, but it was the same feeling of, like, I'm stuck in a house, and I can't leave, and, like, it's unsafe to leave. That was definitely, like, there was some definitely unprocessed trauma that come up, came up from that. I talked about it with my therapist and went through it, and it's, like, it's that feeling of being trapped, so I think that's really normal for people who have been in residential treatment. I'm, I think that's really normal for that to come up. Um, yeah, and this isn't something obviously that could like that's happening with us, but something just to speak on is how difficult it would be to be active in your eating disorder or trying to be in the beginning steps of recovery during this quarantine or if you're alone, um, if you if it affects your access to treatments um, or therapists, it can really mess up your schedule or mess up your your ongoing recovery. And so I guess all I can say to that is just keep choosing recovery every moment and every meal because um, that's all you can do. And even when it's really hard and you don't have anyone to watch you eat or eat with you, um, you just gotta be strong, I guess. Um, and it's gotten a lot more complicated with this pandemic. Yeah, I'm sure. Um... I'm grateful that I'm this far along in recovering the pandemic because I'm sure this would, I mean, I'm positive that this would add that extra struggle and treatment access and all of that. But just um, to everyone listening, remember that the NIDA hotline is available. Um, I don't have the phone number with me right now, but if you go to www.nida.com, it's on there. They have the crisis line. They also have like a text line where you could text them and there are hours for that. 
online. So if you're listening and you were triggered or you just need to talk some, to someone, totally reach out to the Nita hotline. And um, I think that's it for today. But thank you all for listening. Yes, and make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Fight Behind Our Forks. We also have a blog and a website that you can find off our Instagram. Our DMs are open if you ever have a question, um, a idea for a podcast, um, or if you'd like us to present to uh, your school group or Girl Scout group, let us know. Great. Have a good day. Bye.